Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's sermon is from the series, Longing for a King. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Amen. Amen to that. I love singing to our King of Kings. You guys can be seated. Welcome to Forward Church. We're so glad you chose to worship with us today online and here in person. So great to have you with us. You know, we're excited to continue in this study through the Bible in year 2020. And today we've worked our way, you know, up through last week. We saw where King David left a legacy and then he died and passed on to Solomon um, his legacy and the the resources and the plans to begin to build the temple. So today we're going to be diving into that today. And we're glad that you're with us and, and that you chose and to worship with us, and it's just always great to gather together as the church, and um, we're thankful that that you've chosen to do that. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray real quick, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Father, we're thankful for your grace. We thank you that we get to worship you, we get to seek you with all of our hearts. Uh, We're thankful, Lord, that when we gather together um, in your name and we lift up your name, Lord, that your spirit is among us and present among us and ministering to us. And Father, as we open up your scriptures today, we pray that you would do a mighty work. God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would change us um, from the inside out, Lord, as we begin to to study and to look at what you have to say to us. So God, God I pray that you would move me to the side as always, um, that you would use me, Lord, to, to preach your word. And I pray that I would not be seen, but that you would be seen through your glory and your might and through your word, Lord. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we today are going to be looking at the story of King Solomon. So King Solomon, as we saw last week, King David prepared the way for Solomon to be king and to build the temple of the Lord. So this is about David leaving his legacy for Solomon and then Solomon taking over and building the temple. So today we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 8. You can turn there in your Bible. It's also going to be on the screens for you, but 1 Kings chapter 8 is where we'll be. Now, it's hard to appreciate what an amazing structure the temple was. The temple was just magnificent. It was, it was incredible. God had made Solomon really, 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 really wealthy. And the temple was built to reflect that. They poured all these resources into this huge, massive structure. It took over 150,000 workers more than eight years to build the temple. And everything was layered in gold. There were things layered in silver. According to First Chronicles, we hear that Solomon used more than 4,000 tons of gold in the temple. He used more than 40,000 tons of silver to build the temple. Then there were rubies and emeralds and jewels that were all over the walls and the pillars of the temple. So it would have been this magnificent sight. But the most awesome thing about this temple that the Bible tells us is that the glory of God descended upon it in this thick and glorious cloud. So this cloud came down that was so thick and God's presence was so, so massive and awesome in that place. The first Kings chapter eight says that the presence of God was there and it was so overwhelming that the priests couldn't stand in there anymore. They couldn't stay at their posts and minister in that space anymore. So they had to move out of there. Now there's a whole lot in chapter 8 that we could talk about and read, but I want to be in some key verses today. So if you would, um, just stand with me. We're going to read our main text for today, and um, we'll look at what Scripture has to say and what um, chapter 8. We'll skip through some verses, so we'll go kind of fast, but they'll be on the screens for you as well. We always try to stand over our main text out of honor for God's Word. Um, Starting in verse 22, 
of chapter 8 says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Jump to verse 29. He says, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. Verse 33, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Then if you skip to verses 37 through 39, it says, if there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or, or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Skip to verse 41 through 43. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Then he concludes the prayer in verses 55 through 61. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments at, as at this day. You can be seated. As always, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, that's a little bit of a long prayer, but Solomon really gets into a lot there as he's praying over the temple and blessing the temple. And, and he's, he is... Um, lifting that up on the behalf of Israel, and you hear him lifting it up on behalf of foreigners that would come to the temple and seek God. So this prayer expresses what the temple was supposed to be. It was supposed to be this place of refuge for Israel, a place that they could go to seek God, where they would pray to and they would worship the Lord. And it would be a place where the foreigner could come because they would hear about God and what God was doing at the temple and that they could receive salvation. A place where they could go in repentance and be assured that the Lord would hear their prayers. But sadly, 
Israel did not follow what Solomon prayed here. It's, it's as we've seen, as we've studied throughout the Old Testament, that the people of Israel would follow God for a while, then they would stray away from him. Then they would follow him for a while, then they would stray away from him. And we're going to see that they, they fall away from him once again. In fact, Solomon himself did not even stay faithful to these commands or this prayer that he prayed. We will see that Solomon struggles with life and through life and with decisions. Even though he's given great wisdom from the Lord, he, um, he really struggles to follow the Lord. And over time, Solomon even allowed the worship of idols, and they set up high places to other gods. And, and much of that is because he ended up having um, 700 wives and, and 300 concubines, and many of them were princesses from other nations, and they brought their false gods with them and set up um, high places to worship those other gods. Now, it's easy for us to remove ourselves from this and think, well, you know, we don't do that anymore. We don't set up high places to, to other gods. I don't have a temple or a shrine in my house of another god that I worship. You know, I worship the one true God. But listen, worshiping an idol is so much more than religious activity. Worship of an idol is trusting in anything other than God. You see, in those days, many of them relied on the false gods because the false gods would represent things that they needed in everyday life. So they would set up these false gods. There were many false gods that they called a Baal, B-A-A-L. They would call the, them a Baal of something. So there was the Baal of fertility, for example. If they were trying to, to, to be fertile, they wanted to be fertile and they needed fertility, they would pray to their Baal of fertility. There was the Baal of good health. There was the Baal of rain. There was the Baal of the harvest. So and so we see all these false gods that they would pray to depending on the situation and what it was that they needed. The Greeks, we know, had gods and goddesses for prosperity, for intelligence, for the goddess of victory. There was the goddess of beauty. So here was the deal. When you needed something, you could ask God like Solomon tells them to do, and you could wait on God or you could turn to one of these false gods. And that's what many of them were doing. A lot of times people, they got impatient with God and they lost confidence in God that he'd really provide so they would turn to these idols. And don't we do the same thing? Don't we often do the same thing? You know, we put our trust in money just like the Greeks did with the goddess Diana. That was their goddess of, of money. And, and we put our trust in our own intelligence just like the goddess Athena. We put our trust in our outer beauty just like the goddess Aphrodite. So see, often we just call them by different names today, but what we will tend to do is we'll tend to think, well, God can't come through for me on this, so I'm gonna trust in the money that I've made, or I'm gonna trust in my own intelligence and what I can try to decide in this situation instead of leaning on God's wisdom. And when we do that, what we've done is we've turned to idols. And that is the course that the Israelites chose, is they turned to idols, and because of that, God eventually sends them into exile out of the promised land, just like he had promised that he would do. You see, the Assyrians come along and they invade the northern 10 tribes of Israel in about 722 BC, and they carried them off to captivity. And then the Babylonians came along in 586 BC, and they took the final two southern tribes into captivity. So what I want us to do is I want us to go from 1 Kings 8 and turn over to Ezekiel in the Old Testament because right before those southern two tribes were taken captive by the Babylonians, the prophet Ezekiel had a vision. Now, it's important to note that those two southern tribes that were still in existence at that time, the, the other 10 had been taken by, um, by the Assyrians. Those two tribes are where the, the temple was located. So the temple of God was still in the hands of the, the Israelites, and God's presence was still there. But Ezekiel has this vision, 
And in this vision, the glory of God, God's presence, leaves the temple. So in Ezekiel 11, verses 22 through 25, I have the amplified version. It says, Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the Shekinah glory of God of Israel hovered over them. Then the glory and brilliance of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and paused over the mountain, the Mount of Olives. Now, I included the amplified version because um, the ESV, I think, just says went up on the mountain. It's important we know that it was the Mount of Olives that God's glory hovered over. And it is east of the city. That's important as well. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a visit in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea, Babylonia. Then the vision that I had seen left me. Then I told the exiles everything that the Lord had shown me. Now in this vision, the glory of God rises up from the dwelling in the temple that Solomon had built, where God was near the people, and he hovers over the Mount of Olives. And then he leaves the earth. Now, reading that from the perspective of the Israelites at that time makes you ask, they had to have been wondering, has the glory of the Lord left us forever? God just left the temple. His presence just went into the heavens. It appears that God has left them for good. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't end in Exodus. We have the ability, or in Ezekiel, we have the ability to know what happens after that. You see, God had determined to bring salvation to the human race. He had promised that he would bring salvation. He had made unconditional promises to Abraham and to David, and we've studied those throughout this series. And Israel's failures would not stop him from keeping that promise. So clearly Solomon, he was not the king that everyone was longing for. We can continue to talk about this king that people are longing for, this king that will deliver God's people, this king that will rescue everyone. And Solomon is making it clear that he's not the one either. He's failed to lead the people in devotion to the Lord. And once again, this is scripture in the Old Testament pointing to the New Testament and the truth that there is a true king that's coming, that there is a king that would come, that will fulfill this longing in their hearts and in our hearts. And this king, whose name is Jesus, he would take a curious route as he headed to do that. He would go out of the way to climb the Mount of Olives by then climbing it and then descending into Jerusalem. Now, why did he do that? He didn't have to go that route that he took. But years later, the New Testament tells us that Jesus began his journey into Jerusalem from the very spot that Ezekiel saw the glory of God depart from. It was from that spot on the Mount of Olives where Jesus or where God left the earth, and then now Jesus would get on a donkey, and he would ride into town. Now, he rode a donkey as opposed to a war horse, because that was a symbol of a king coming peacefully. When a king would ride a donkey into town, that was a symbol that the king was coming in peace. If he rode a war horse in town, he's coming for war. Jesus came in as a peaceful king. He entered from where God had exited, so God's glory had left the earth, and now his glory is coming back to earth. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, through the eastern gate, through the east gate. And that is where Ezekiel saw the glory of God depart from, from the east. And then Jesus rides right into the temple where he took out a whip and he cleansed it, driving out the money changers who were buying and selling in the temple courts. Now, interestingly, the place that Jesus drove them out from was called the court of the Gentiles. 
So he's in the court of the Gentiles, and they are, they are um, making money off of the people that have come to the temple. And Luke 19, 45 through 46 says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now you go back to Solomon. Solomon had established the temple as a house of prayer. But, the, but, but God's presence had left the temple. And now God's presence is coming back into the temple and Jesus is restoring it. He's saying this is to be a house of prayer and you've been using it for selfish reasons. The people had strayed. Jesus is returning to reestablish the temple of the Lord as a house of prayer. He is the king, the king of kings, the, the prince of peace who is coming to bring peace and he's coming to bring prayer to his house once again. Now, the court of Gentiles was supposed to be a place where foreigners from other nations could come and they would find hope in God. And instead, they had turned it into this place to make money. They had turned it into this place to, to have a market and, and make money off of the Gentiles that came. So Jesus, it says, takes out a whip, he cleanses it, and he restores it to its original purpose. You see, that's the purpose of Jesus, is to bring restoration. He brings restoration to the temple, and he brings restoration to our lives and to our souls. Because you see, Right after that, then he goes on this journey of offering himself up as a sacrifice because animal blood could never take away the sin and cleanse our heart. So Jesus offers himself up. Only his perfect blood could wash away our sin and restore us. And when we place our faith <clears throat> excuse me, in his perfect blood, it covers over our sins. And the Bible says he gives us new hearts. He gives us new hearts that desire him and not idols anymore. So if we look back at that vision that Ezekiel had, you're going to see how this continues to connect. In Ezekiel 11, chapter, verse 19 through 20, God promised this. He said, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel in this prophetic vision is pointing to Jesus who would come and he would give us a new heart. He would give us a unified heart. He would give us a heart that, that seeks after him. And when we get these new hearts, our hearts then, it says, desire to walk in his ways. Our hearts want to keep his rules. Our hearts then yearn to obey him. It says he'll take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And you see, we in, in, our, in, our own, in our own strength, we have hearts of stone that are hardened to the ways of God, hardened to certain things of God. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and he enters into us, he gives us this new heart that begins to change our desires, begins to change us with this heart of flesh so that we desire the things of God. Ezekiel had prophesied that the glory of God would no longer be found in the temple, that God's glory would leave the earth from the Mount of Olives and from that very place that it left, that it would re-enter through the coming of Jesus. See how the Bible connects from the Old Testament to the New Testament? And this true king is coming, the one that everyone was longing for. And it's through this king Jesus that we would find the glory of God once again. So we're supposed to take all the promises Solomon gave to them in the temple and then apply them to ourselves when we have faith in Jesus, when we have this new heart of flesh, when we have received the heart of flesh that desires to follow him. So how do we apply that today? How do we apply that to our lives? Well, first of all, we recognize this. God hears and answers prayer. God hears and answers prayer. 
I think most of us would agree with that statement, but do we honestly, do we honestly live like we believe that? Do you pray like you believe that God hears and answers prayer? Just listen to what Solomon prayed as he dedicated the temple, verse 29, that your eyes, God, may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. See, according to the Bible, God's eyes are open night and day toward his temple, and he listens to the prayers of his people. In verse 30, Solomon asks God to forgive when he hears our prayers of repentance. In verse 41, he speaks of a foreigner that is not of the people of Israel that comes to pray in the temple that God would hear their repentant prayer. Then verse 48, when they repent with all their heart and all their soul, hear from your dwelling place and forgive. Listen to this. Through Jesus, who is Emmanuel, which means God with us, God's new dwelling place, his new temple for us, is found in Jesus. When we place our faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us he enters into us through his Holy Spirit, and now his dwelling place is inside of us with a new heart that he puts in us, and the temple of the Lord, gets this, get this, it becomes our hearts where we become the temple of God. Now, he promises to dwell inside of you through his son, Jesus. Therefore, if we believe that every word is the word of God, his eyes are on you day and night. When you lift up prayers to him, he hears your prayers. When you have faith in Jesus, you become the temple of God. The Holy Spirit's living inside of you. His eyes and ears are upon you. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He loves you. He accepts you. He receives you. He makes you new. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. He wants to bless you. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants you to pray to him, to reach out to him because his eyes and ears are on you. And that should change the way we pray. We should be able to pray with confidence knowing that he hears and he answers the prayers of those repentant hearts. Jesus repeated these same promises of Solomon prophesied through his prayer. Matthew 7, 7, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. When you ask Jesus for salvation, you receive it. It's that simple. We make it so difficult sometimes. We act like it's this big, huge process. The Bible says when you come with a repentant heart telling God that you have sinned and you've broken his commands and you want forgiveness and you ask him for forgiveness, he gives it. That's simple. When you ask, it's given to you. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask in his name for his glory, he gives it to you. Author Paul Miller says this, all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized in one word, ask. Are you asking God? Are you coming to him with confidence? For the book of James chapter 2, we learn that we don't have because we don't ask God. 1 John, John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Notice there's confidence there in that verse. Asking according to his will, he hears us. We see this over and over in scripture. The question is, do we truly believe it? Or do we pray reluctant prayers? Do we get caught up in praying prayers and then, and then doubting whether God hears it or that he will answer it? 
Just this week, Pastor Robert Morris on Thursday put this um, quote on social media. He said, prayer is an invitation for real people to express real needs to a listening, loving father and experience real, tangible answers. Now, this does not mean that God will always give us everything that we pray for. Because our prayers are often selfish and our prayers are often focused on us. And we don't know what's best for us. Our motives can be wrong, so this doesn't mean that we get everything that we ask for. The key here is praying according to his will and for his glory. Now, this is first and foremost talking about salvation. When we come to him and we ask him and we, we repent and we ask for salvation from our sins, we get it. We get it immediately. He gives it to us. God forgives and he heals immediately when we repent of the sins and place our faith in the saving grace of Jesus. But this is also about how God continues to work in our lives. This is about how God wants to and longs to give us good things. God wants to bless his children, and he wants to give us things that will bring him glory. And the key to receiving from the Lord through answered prayer is trust, is belief that he can hear us and that he will answer us. You see, when you believe, God begins to work. But if you don't truly believe, then the power is not there. See, the Bible tells a story about Peter and Peter walking on the water. Most of you are probably familiar with that. But the idea is, the, the story is that when Jesus is walking on water, Peter sees him, and then Jesus says, come on out to me, you can do it. And Peter believes that he can do it. So he has his eyes on Jesus, and he steps out of the water, and he's walking on top of the water. But as soon as he looks away from Jesus and to the water that's around him, he begins to sink. You see, Peter's faith activated the power of Jesus to hold him above the waters. And when he doubted, when he looked away from Jesus and he looked at the situation around him and what would make sense to him, then the power disappeared and he began to sink. See, what I know is that if Peter would have continued to believe, if he would have kept his eyes on Jesus, he would have stayed on top of that wave. Listen to the importance of this truth. Jesus responds to faith. When someone believes, Jesus acts. But we're all guilty of praying prayers and then doubting if God would actually hear them or act on them. We pray a prayer of faith to our God who can do anything, but before we say amen, we find ourselves doubting. You know, we've all been there, right? I've begun adding something to my prayers recently, and I'll say something along the lines of, God, I believe that this is within your will. God, I believe that this will give you glory. God, what I'm asking in, in, this, in this prayer, I believe that you hear it, and I believe that you will act. I trust you, and I believe that if it's according to your will and for your glory, that you will make it come true. And I've added that to my prayers because I can often go to God with prayer requests and pray bold prayers, but then I, I kind of doubt before I say amen whether or not he's going to do it. But scripture tells me that he won't ever abandon those who lean on him in faith. And when I pray with faith, I've seen time and time again that God answers those prayers, the ones that are according to his will and for his glory. And that, of course, doesn't mean that he does things exactly like I think they should be done. It doesn't mean that he's going to do things exactly the way I think is best, but he answers according to his goodness, according to his grace, according to his will, according to his glory for his kingdom purposes. Pastor Paul David Tripp says it this way, prayer isn't about requesting what you need to build your kingdom, but about seeking the grace you need to live for God's kingdom. And let me tell you, anytime you pray asking God to give you the grace to live according to his kingdom, He's going to answer those prayers. 
He's going to give you the grace to live according to his word. He's going to give you the strength to follow and be obedient to his word. To, he's going to give you the ability to overcome temptation when you're seeking him for his glory, for his will, for his good name. So are you trusting God with your prayers? Because when you do, he hears and he acts. And the key to it is this. When faced with a crisis, turn to prayer, not to idols. See, you're going to face needs in your life. You're going to need to trust him, or you will trust in a substitute provider. Here's what that looks like. We'll say things like, you know, I'm not sure God can make me happy in romance. Uh, you know, he, he's taking too long to bring that special someone. Um, that I'm not sure that he's going to bring me that person that I can spend the rest of my life with. So I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into a relationship that I know is probably not that healthy, but I think I can change the person and I can do this and I can make this happen. And I can, you know what, I can make some concessions and, and what I think is right. And we start to, to do those kind of things instead of seeking him and trusting him that he can bring us that person. I'm not sure God's going to supply my needs, so I'm going to hoard my money, and I'm going to refuse to be generous. I'm going to refuse to tithe because it's my money that I earned, and I, and I need to make sure that I, I'm taken care of first. And we start to rationalize like that, and then we overwork, and we worry all the time about finances instead of trusting God to provide, instead of following his commands and being obedient to him, and then seeing how he provides through all that. Or we think, you know, I'm not sure God can take care of me, so I'm not going to go on that mission trip because I'm scared. I'm afraid something will happen whenever I go. Or I'm not going to let my kids go on that mission trip because I'm afraid of what could happen to them and that, that they may not be safe when they go over there, even though I know they're serving the Lord. And we'll back out of doing things that God's calling us to do because we'll be afraid. And then we start to trust in other things and turning to idols instead of turning to God. See, when you have a need, you'll do one of two things. You'll trust God with it or you'll turn to an idol. Turning to an idol drives out the glory of God from your life and sends you into the wilderness, into a place of exile, just like the Israelites. And then we find ourselves in this place of saying, I've been praying, I've been praying for God to give me this, I've been praying for God to answer this prayer, and God's just not hearing me. I'm just not hearing anything from him. And then we start to realize, if we would really look at our lives, we would start to realize that, that maybe we're not in his will. Maybe we're not trusting in him. Maybe we've been trusting in things of this world instead of in him. Because when we begin to pray like that, trusting in him, then our lives become a testimony to our God who answers our prayers. So if you want answered prayers, then, then you start to follow what the scripture is showing us. When we trust that God will answer, when we trust that God hears, when we live according to his will, when we're focused on him, then we begin to see him answering prayers according to his will for his glory. See, Solomon spoke of the foreigner hearing of what was happening at the temple coming and experiencing God. And, and he's making this point that our lives become a testimony to our God who answers our prayers. You see, when we begin to pray trusting prayers and we trust in God, then our lives become this amazing testimony. Look at what verses 42 through 43 say again. For they shall hear of your great name. He's talking about the foreigners. He's talking about the people that are not part of the Israelites. They're not God's chosen people. When they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I've built is called by your name. You see, throughout the Bible, God presents answered prayer as a critical part of our witness. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 4, when Moses described to Israel what would distinguish them from every other nation on earth, he said the answered prayer would be the distinguishing mark, that they would see that you have a God who is near you when you cry out to him. When God wanted to demonstrate to Israel which God was the true God, what was the test? It was answered prayer. Solomon knew the importance of prayer and how important prayers of believers would draw those lost to God. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He said that because we are called to faithful prayer. And when believers step up in faithful prayers, then God acts according to his will and for his glory. And when he does that, those who are not yet Christians, they will see that he is good. They will see that he is real. They will see that he is a loving heavenly father. They will see that he listens to his children. They will see that he forgives the sins of repentant people, and they will begin to place their faith in him. You see, our answered prayers in our life become a huge witness to the testimony of God. So with that, makes me think, what if, what if, what if Forward Church was truly seen as a house of prayer? And I ask it that way because I don't know that we are. Are we seen as a house of prayer? I think we're a very worshipful church. People would describe us that way. People have described us that way. And we're called to be worshipful. We worship God with everything we have. We also preach the word of God faithfully. We stay true to his scriptures. So we're worshipful. We're making disciples. We're, we're preaching the word of God. But would people in this community describe Forward Church as a house of prayer? See, that's a desire that I think we need to, to long for. That's something that we need to work on. What if our prayer request page on our website became one of the most visited pages? What if people from all over the community were sending prayer requests because they're hearing that God listens to the prayers of his people? They're hearing that God is answering prayers in that community, in that church community. They're hearing about amazing things that are happening through the prayer chain. Did you even know we have a prayer page on our website? There's a, a spot on there where you can request prayers. We have a prayer team that lifts up requests regularly, and, and they have seen amazing answers from God over the years. But guess what? That prayer team is 19 people. We're a church of a couple hundred people. What if that prayer team became a hundred people strong of people trusting in God, believing in God, believing that God answers prayers, praying according to God's will and according to his kingdom purposes, and we had a hundred people strong that were lifting up every single prayer request that came through our prayer chain. Imagine what God would do when his Faithful people come together and lift up prayers. I believe God would do miraculous things that, that the foreigners, the lost in the community would begin to hear about and then they would want to come to the church building and to the church to hear about and to see this God who answers prayer. You know, you can join the prayer team by just going to the prayer request tab on the website, put in where the prayer request box is, type in join prayer team. And you can become a part of that. And we have a group me app that you load. And then the, the prayers get sent out through that app. And then people pray over the prayer requests. And it's amazing to see the praises and the awesome things that happen when God's people pray. What if at the end of the service, when we have the altar call, or when we have starting point guides after the service, what if there was a line of people waiting because we believed, we truly believed in the power of prayer. We had something going on in our life, and we knew that if we gathered with other people and we prayed over it, that God would hear and he would answer our prayers. What would that look like? 
You know, we have a prayer room right back here. It's closed right now because of the current circumstances. But once we are able to open that back up, there's a wall in there where we can post prayer requests. What if there were just that wall was full of prayer requests? And then our team could pray over those every week. What if we became a house of prayer, a place that people believed God answers prayer in? I believe when people begin to hear about answers to prayer, that they're drawn more to this God who answers those prayers. So the scripture is showing us. You know, over that past eight years of Forward Church existing, we've seen marriages healed through the power of prayer and the gospel in their lives. We've, we've seen people healed spiritually, finding forgiveness from their sins and receiving salvation through Jesus. Baptisms are a testimony to that. We've had stories of people having physical healing from nights of prayer and worship that we've had. Now, it's, it's important to let you know that we don't claim that we can physically heal. Only God can do that. But God has literally physically healed some people in this church through nights of prayer and worship. Sometimes, or all the time, he heals us spiritually when we cry out to him. Sometimes, he even brings physical healing according to his will and for his glory. We have stories of that happening. We've seen healing from addictions. The list goes on and on of answered prayers. And it can get even bigger as we lift up faith-filled prayers to God, as we become a house of prayer. Imagine what could happen in your life, in your circle of influence, if you strive to become a person of prayer. How could that impact your neighbors, your family members, or, or coworkers, or, or classmates if you become a person of prayer? What if you started letting people know that, that you are a part of a prayer team and that you would be glad to add their prayer requests to the, the prayer chain and you begin to pray for them and then we begin to see answers to those prayers? Think of how God can use you to draw people to him and increase the testimony of the gospel through prayer. You see, those prayer requests... They, they become a witness when God answers. What if hundreds of us were faithfully praying over our community and our neighbors? The Bible tells us that the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Now, 1 Peter 3.12 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what does that mean? I've actually had people come to me and say to me, they want me to pray for them because I must have a close God's favorites. When you come before him in repentance, when you seek him with all of your heart, you then have the God of the universe's eyes and ears on you. You become a temple of the Lord with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the key to living a righteous life is a repentant heart. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're repentant. We come before him. We come before him humble, with a humble heart, a repentant heart, seeking him. It's a repentant heart that leads to righteousness. All through this prayer, Solomon makes God's activity in your life conditional on when you repent. Unconfessed sin extinguishes the power and the presence of God. So if you say you want God's help, but you can't see or hear him, you have to ask yourself, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? And then confess it, and he will forgive you, whatever it is. But you have to confess it and humbly turn to him and turn away from that sin. And if there's areas of your life that aren't under his control, he wants to help you. But you have to surrender to him and give him control first. Listen, he'll forgive whatever you bring to him. The key is you have to bring it to him. And when you do, the Bible says his eyes are on you and his ears listen to your prayers. My hope for you today is that you'll turn to him in repentance, and you can do that now as we pray and as we worship him. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you now with repentant hearts. And God, it's humbling to know that when we put our faith in Jesus, that we're saved from our sins. And that when we're saved from our sins, your Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and give us a new heart of flesh. And with that new heart of flesh, we start to desire the things of you. And that when we turn our eyes to you, that your eyes and your ears are upon us. And that we can lift up prayers to you. That we can seek you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strength. And that you hear our prayers and that you answer our prayers according to your will and according to your glory. And Father, there are some here today, there are some listening online that needed that today. There are some that need to just repent of their sin at this moment. So God, we take a moment of silence and we just give an opportunity for people to just say, God, I've, I've sinned, I've fallen short of your glory. And God, we know from your word that when we come to you with a humble and repentant heart like that, that you forgive us. Trusting you to do miraculous things. And God, may we recognize that you won't always answer the way that we expected it, but may we look for the ways that you answer our prayers and may we celebrate them. God, our prayers at this place will become a house of prayer. And God, where we've fallen short of that, we repent of that. We know that your local church is to be a place that should be seen as a house of prayer. Our prayer is that this whole community will begin to hear about what you're doing through the prayers of your people. That through that, it would become a witness to this community. And that more and more people would be drawn here not out of selfish motives because we want our kingdom to be grown, but to bow before you. May we just bow at our seats where we are. We bow at our home in front of our couch. We just take a knee and we worship you, the King of Kings. And we thank you for the ways that you hear and answer our prayers. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our series, Longing for a King. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.